0: Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Thank you to all who have blessed us with your leadership this morning good morning i'm evan the senior pastor here and welcome and welcome to everybody watching online as well thank you for participating engaging in worship together it's already been such a beautiful morning thank you and for your beautiful playing for our singers what a big group we had this morning for our praise band um excellent beautiful worship this morning and and doing so while emily and ryan are away uh at the Abkepad Women's Retreat Leading Worship there. Uh, we're thankful uh, for their ability to share their gifts. And thank you, Jim, uh, for sharing. And, and I heard that there may be an anniversary happening this week. Congratulations. Uh, we, we, are, we are blessed by you and celebrate with you. I'll read this morning first from Esther, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do you not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, yes, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. These are the words Mordecai offered to Queen Esther as she considered if she might risk her very life to go before the king to try to save her people. We'll conclude our look at the book of Esther today, and it's going to be a little bit different this morning uh, because we will be hearing not just from me, but also from a local rabbi. Uh, So I was able to have a great conversation with Rabbi Elise Sider-Joseph earlier this week. She lives in Westchester most of the time, but right now she's in Colorado. So we did that via Zoom. She couldn't be with us in person. So we'll see clips of that conversation throughout our time together this morning. Because as we look at the scroll of Esther and the celebration that comes from it, I realize that I have quite a few blind spots about the culture and the history and the celebration of Purim that emerges from this event and Rabbi Elise will provide some beautiful powerful insight for us. But before we get to that, I want us to remember where we're at in this story. If you remember the background, the Jewish people have been in exile if you remember and A hundred years after that about, there are still Jewish people living all over the region, including people living in Persia. And here we find this story of the king of Persia, who is foolish, tempted by wine, unable to make a decision for himself, and his actions have great impact on the people. He'd been throwing this party for six months and then added to it, and then he invited more guests to it, and in the depths of the party, he invited his queen to come parade herself to the people, and she refused. He was angry, so he said enough with her. He gathered all of the single women in the kingdom and then tried to find someone else to be his queen, and he chose Esther, an orphan Jewish girl. She lived there as the queen and time passes. Eventually a villain emerges, Haman. He shows up and because he's offended by Esther's uncle Mordecai decides that he should convince the king to destroy all the Jewish people and the king goes along with it. It is in this depth and fear, this edict of coming genocide that Mordecai goes to the queen and says, can you speak up? Perhaps you have come to this position of royal dignity for such a time as this. From there, as we learn in the last few weeks, the king is having a hard time sleeping, and so he reads the minutes of previous business meetings. I don't know if you've ever done that to go to sleep Um, but but the minutes we can get them to you from our business meeting and that might help you. Uh, You can go to sleep that way. He reads the minutes and discovers that Esther's uncle Mordecai saved his life once and they never did anything to thank him and so he throws a parade making the villain Haman throw it for him and we see this reversal of these people who are about to be wiped out being lifted up and then Esther goes to the king several times eventually speaking up and saying, yes, here is what's going on to my people. I am a Jew and this edict will kill my people and Haman is the one who did it. The king becomes enraged and Haman is killed. A new edict is passed. The king says we can't undo what we've done before, so what we'll do is pass a new edict where the Jews can defend themselves. A people who have been disempowered. Suddenly given power to stand up. If you'll remember, when we started this series, we were asking some questions. You see, the School of Esther, it's, it's the only book in, in the Bible where God is not explicitly mentioned. And so, it's a mysterious thing. In fact, the name Esther means hidden. <laughs> And while God is never explicitly named, God's hand is everywhere. As we reflect on Esther, we can't help but think about all the times where God seems absent in our lives, our world. And yet as we read Esther, we see God at work. We ask this question throughout the text, where is God? And if you'll remember, we also thought about a time in Genesis when that question was turned around. The first story of human rebellion happens. Adam and Eve try to hide themselves in their shame, and God says, yeah, but where are you? And so as we look to chapters 9 and 10 of Esther and hear from Rabbi Elise, may we go into this text, into this time, holding these two questions for ourselves and the story. Where is God? Where am I? Esther nine twenty through 22 says, Mordecai recorded these things about the Jewish victory over their enemies and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month year by year as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. The reversal has happened. And Mordecai declares that they should keep this holiday together where they celebrate this transformation of relief that has come for the people. And now with all of that in mind, let's look at our first clip from Rabbi Elise. Great, well, thank
1: you. Thanks so much, Reverend Evan. It's really my pleasure to uh, send you all greetings from Colorado where I am right now. And um, just to say that your church is very dear to me for many years because of our friends, Reverend Jim Olson and Arden Olson and Rachel and their whole family, who remain very dear friends of ours, even from very far away. So um, hello, everybody. Um, And uh, I know some people from the church still. And uh, some, let's see. So just about me, I've lived in Westchester for close to 30 years now. And um, I am a second career rabbi and started a small congregation in Westchester, which uh, I retired from uh, just this past year in the pandemic. And um, I guess the sort of people often ask, what branch of Judaism? Um, uh, I call myself post-denominational uh, or just Jewish. It's probably easy to understand. And um, yeah, so so happy to come and talk with you about, about Esther and uh, about Purim.
0: Thank you. Um, so we've been we've been looking at Esther for several weeks now. What is your relationship to the scroll of Esther and, and how have you found it to be significant?
1: Um, well, um, you know Esther is one of the five scrolls that we have that are part of the Hebrew Bible. Um, it's one of only two books that are named for a woman and um, we might say stars. A woman you know she's the at uh, the top of the cast list maybe um you know um my i guess my first experience of uh the scroll of esther what we call Megillat esther in hebrew is um growing up and going to synagogue and hearing hearing the Uh, Megillah the Megillah of Esther read on the holiday of Purim Um, and um, it's a very raucous affair because um, Purim which is the holiday that emerges from the book of Esther uh, is sort of like Halloween and Mardi Gras and all kinds of and new year's eve basically all rolled into one i mean it's it's a crazy holiday um people dress up in costumes people make lots of loud noises people uh sometimes drink to excess because there's a phrase in the talmud that says that uh on Purim that one should alter themselves a-l-t-e-r not a-l-t-a-r themselves to such a degree, they, they can't tell who the bad guy is, Haman, Haman, from the good guy, Mordechai. okay? Uh, so for some people, that means, you know, they have a bunch of shots. Um, but when we hear the Megillah read, every time the name of Haman or Haman is said, uh, we have like these loud noise makers, like uh, fire engine groggers and all kinds of, and it's, It's just crazy. It's like everything that you could just imagine. Like just imagine being in church and like interrupting the worship and basically like throwing tomatoes and things like that. Like we don't throw tomatoes, but it's just (laughs) it. it, Oh, it's only once a year too, you know. So um, it it is the 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 Book of Esther is a crazy. It's a crazy story, and the holiday is a crazy holiday, Um, and it also has a lot of deep meaning which when I was a little kid, I just thought it was fun. You know, all, it was very heteronormative. All the girls dressed up like Esther in the beauty contest and all the boys dressed up as Mordecai. Occasionally somebody dressed up as Achashverosh. Um, and yeah, there would be beauty contests, you know, and the carnival and it was just great as a kid growing up, yeah.
0: it's fascinating. I, you know, as I was first interacting with Esther, you know, you, in my background, it's, you know, maybe a Sunday school lesson once every couple of years, and then like a Veggie Tales movie, which was, you know. uh, Sure, one
1: night with the king, right, right,
0: and it wasn't until, you know, much later that I actually kind of read the whole thing and realized that it's hilarious, it's full of all these dramatic turns and changes, I mean, uh, laughing out loud while reading the scripture, at least when I was growing up, was not really something that I anticipated, and then as you, sure. get, you know, Esther, it's oh, it's it's fantastic. Um, one of the questions as we've asked the congregation to give some feedback is is about this type of literature that Esther is. Mm-hmm. What, what is this uh, scroll? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just such a great question. I I think I think it's just important to say you know it's not a history book, and you know there are have been attempts to place these events in the history of persia where uh where the events supposedly take place um and it's it's a historical or it's not historical um it really more resembles um sort of like court hijinks literature that we see in the middle ages in england and things like that um and maybe some of the stories that we read in Chaucer, like in the Canterbury Tales, if you were an English major like me. Um, you know, just crazy, crazy stuff. And, you know, just even if you just read the first chapter, I mean, the king, the king is such a fop. he's such a fool, right? He, first of all, like points, if you can even pronounce that. But, um, you know, it says he is like the most powerful guy in the whole wide world, but he's a total ding dong, right? I mean, he's set up like a fool, right? Um, And he's totally controlled by his underlings and he's very impulsive, right? And, um, you know, so uh, we don't don't really see it as historical, but it's still very important, even though it's funny and historical and it's kind of good to laugh at, scripture from time to time because there's a lot to cry about
0: right awesome so did anybody bring tomatoes today you didn't get the notice uh yeah oh billy i was ready i was very ready Uh, uh, as we approach esther and get to these final chapters we have this kind of turn and then the, the jews defend themselves and we see this kind of huge amount of violence, and we're like, what do we do with this? This is, you know, Pastor Jag in his beautiful sermon last week kind of alluded to that. What, what do we do with, with this text, and how, how do we engage with it when it seems so extreme the other way? And, and so with that in mind, we'll look at the next question, which has to do with that.
1: But the whole, the whole part at the end with, you know, there, there was this edict, you know, and it was like, it's amazing, right? How easy was it for Haman? come on to get this edict, like from the king. Oh yeah, we can kill all the Jews, no problem. They send it out far and wide, you know? And then it's like, uh, well, you know, there was that edict, we can't really undo it, but you can defend yourselves, okay? Um, and that's kind of different for a people that has been subjugated and put in exile, right? Like for Jews to have that kind of power, like very unusual right and so my best way of understanding that whole thing is as a revenge fantasy okay um you know um there's there's this little joke about like all jewish holidays that like you can sum up pretty much every jewish holiday in like two sentences three sentences they tried to kill us they couldn't let's eat Mm. okay so you know, if that's like the ethos of how you think about you know the cycle of Jewish time, then you know having a revenge fantasy every once in a while, I think is some kind of psychological release.
0: Uh, I love that um, idea that it asks a different question. for such a time as this, but but because you rose to this position. and so when we think about this question, where, Is God. God has been at work throughout Esther, but where is Esther? Risen to the opportunity to do something with where she is, we ask that question about ourselves where are we? Where has God placed us? What influence has God given us? What privilege, success, access to resources? Jim gave us such a great illustration of what it means and and why. It's so important that we give care to those with less. Where am I in relation to the world around me? How might we use our experience, status, time, passions, gifts for the work of God in the world? These are the questions that the world is asking around us as well. What might we do to make the world better, more livable, more loving, more hopeful for who is to come? It's a question that we who follow Jesus have a great example to look at. As Paul says to the church in Philippi, let uh, each of you, not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking on the form of a slave, assumed human likeness, was found in appearance as a human, he Humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God is at work. Where are we? Let's roll the next clip.
1: But the whole the whole part at the end with, you know, there there was this edict, you know, and it was like it's amazing, right? How easy was it for Haman, Haman, to get this edict like from the king? Oh yeah. We can kill all the jews no problem they send it out far and wide you know and then it's like uh, well you know there was that edict we can't really undo it but you can defend yourselves okay um and that's kind of different for a people that has been subjugated and put in exile right like for jews to have that kind of power is like very unusual right and so my best way of understanding that whole thing is as a revenge fantasy, okay? Um, you know, um, there's there's this little joke about like all Jewish holidays that like you can sum up pretty much every Jewish holiday in like two sentences, three sentences. They tried to kill us, they couldn't, let's eat, mm. okay? So, you know, if that's like the ethos of how you think about, you know, The cycle of Jewish time, then you know, having a revenge fantasy every once in a while, I think, is some kind of psychological release. Uh, A problem with any kind of text is that if you're working from a translation, you are already missing so many subtleties. And every translation is an interpretation. And Hebrew is a very content dense language in terms of each word. I could talk about this for a long time, but I won't. Um, you know, so like for, for example, I know this was actually one of, one of the sort of sub questions about this whole idea of like, for such a time as this, right? I mean, one of the things that is really important in that little quote, You know, this is like mortified trying to get Esther to like talk to the king, even though that would put her in danger. A part that's so missing a lot of times is, you know, that you rose to this royal place for such a time as this. And so, you know, when we talk about that, to me, what that says is, how do we right use our power? Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, sure, for such a time as this sure you could say that about just about everything but if we say okay you are in a position of power at such a time as this how are you using your power it has a totally different valence to me than a person who doesn't have power you know and i think it it asks a different question
0: the reality is anti jewish hate is rising all over um, the world and in our nation. And those calling themselves Christian have often been leading that effort of anti-Jewish hate. I'm grateful for Rabbi Elise and getting to hear her perspective. Um, so we asked about you know, some examples of this. She was able to quickly provide articles to acts of anti-Jewish hate in our own community recently. Where might God be in our world? Where are we? God showed up to me in this conversation. Pastor Zach mentioned that he had worked with this rabbi with some interfaith work in Westchester University, so I sent an email. He introduced us via email, and all of a sudden this response came back from Rabbi Elise saying, oh, I'm actually going to see Pastor Jim Olson, who used to be the pastor there. Like, I'm going to go see him in a couple weeks and stay at their house. I know BCWC so well. From there, it led to more conversation and more connections. God is always working, but where are we? More clip about the benefits of working together. I think these conversations, while you know, aren't gonna solve everything, are, are a helpful step to build more connection and um, community. And certainly, um, to push away some of that paranoia of people you don't know, it helps to get to know mm. you. But Absolutely. I, also, I would love to hear how cultivating interfaith dialogue um, has been a blessing in your life. This is, you know, maybe not something people, um, uh, you know, in a, in a Protestant congregation expect to hear from a rabbi on a Sunday morning. Mm. So
1: how is this well, going? yeah. So I would just say like one of the first foundational you know, interfaith clergy relationships I had was with Reverend Jim Olson, who served your congregation for, I think, 18 or 20 years, a very long time. And, um, uh, you know, at at that time, I was not a rabbi, but I was still very interested in Judaism. And he shared with me one of his favorite books, which is uh, the book, The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel. And, um, you know, he, he inscribed it to me, and I still have it and cherish it um and i had read that book many years before i read it again and you know it like just the idea that a baptist minister was going to share with me a book written by like one of the foremost jewish theologians of the 20th century that was pretty radical um so you know i'm very very grateful for that um you know just in my own rabbinate i would say that uh interfaith uh experiences and work um, are among the most important things that I would say that I have done um, in in a few areas uh, with the Sufi Fellowship of Baal Mahayadine, which is um, based uh, in Philadelphia and in uh, East Fallowfield out in the farther hinterlands of Chester County um, and with a group of, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian women having a very intentionally multi faith uh, Seder before Passover for several years, where we incorporated Jewish, Christian, and Muslim ritual. Um, So, you know, very careful about not uh, falling subject to cultural appropriation and having a lot of discussion about. What does that mean? And what does, um, what does it mean to learn and have an experience as opposed to um, being cultural appropriators? Um, so I think those things are really important. Um, I, I do think that, um, you know, these sorts of conversations are important in terms of clergy to clergy and I would say, probably even more important, is for congregational members to to interact, you know, in, in a in a multi faith kind of a setting. And that does feel like it's a very safe thing in Westchester, for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I I just think um, you know, the more we know each other the better, my teacher, Rev Zalman, may he rest in peace, he had this expression, he would say, the only way to get together is together. And um, so I just think that's important to remember.
0: Yeah, what a what a phrase, that's gonna stick with me. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah,
1: I have it on bumper sticker on my car, so. <laughs> oh,
0: that's <laughs> wonderful. In the Book of Esther. It seems like God may not even be around. And yet in the works of an orphan, God is moving. In the work of a nobody sitting at the gate, God is moving. People are rescued. And we remember that God is always at work. In conversations and relationship and connection, God is at work among us. And God was at work through us. As we see God work through Esther and Mordecai, we are invited to imagine how God might work through us as well. Where has God placed you?" We can ask, all the time, "Where is God?" It's a good question to ask, but let us ask as well, where? am I? And what may God be inviting me into as we go forward together? We'll close this morning uh, with a prayer from Rabbi Elise. Christoph, you jump to the end and play that video.
1: May the Holy One of Blessing who blessed our forefathers and our foremothers bless this congregation of the First Baptist Church of Westchester and all those who live and work and play in the surrounding communities, um, to bless all of them with joy. And as it says in the Talmud about Purim, Mishinich Adar Mar Bin Besimcha, when Adar comes, joy will increase. So to have a sense of joy increasing um, to also, as we enter now in this month before our high holidays, the month of Elul, which is an acronym for Ani Lido Di Li, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Who is the beloved? The beloved is God. So to feel that we are part of God, God loves us, and we reciprocate. At this time of the year, it's said that God, the King is in the field. You can go out and be physically embraced by the presence of God. So we should have these experiences um, in ways that move us, that move us towards justice and righteousness to a thirst for learning and compassion, and caring, and being the very, very best kind of human citizen of Westchester and of the planet. And for all these, let's say amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.